Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, thank you again for joining uh, in our worship service today. And I want to thank our worship team and our AV team for their help recording this. This is actually <clears throat> being recorded on January 15th to show on the weekend of the 15th and 16th. Uh, normally our service would be in person on Sunday morning uh, on the 16th, but for four or five days, there has been a 100% chance of snow and sleet, and it's probably going to shut everything down. Uh, we usually don't trust the forecast a whole lot, but uh, in this case, since it's been so strong for so many days, we're making prep. So thank you for all of those who are helping make this happen. Now, think with me if, uh, if you are someone who has ever received an email or a letter from a missionary and what might be in it. Um, normally, you read that letter, read that email, and they'll tell about uh, the things that are happening in their ministry. They'll, they'll give some praises, some updates. They may give some areas of concern. Uh, if there are financial needs, they may mention that. But almost without exception, missionaries in their letters ask for prayer. I, I'm not sure really that I've ever read a missionary letter that didn't have a thanks and or a request for prayer for people to be joining them. And that is what we're talking about today in this week three of our 40 days of prayer, praying for missionaries. Um, in the first century in Rome, the Roman believers went to their mailboxes one day and they opened up a very long letter from the Apostle Paul. And it talked about a lot of things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that gospel meant to them and to the world. And near the end of that letter, there was a request from Paul, the apostle, to pray for them. Paul was an apostle, he was a missionary, and he wrote to them in Romans 15, verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. So that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now let me set the stage here. Let me set the context. In Romans 15, the apostle Paul shared with the believers what his travel plans were. He was writing, we think, from the city called Corinth at that time and Eventually, he wanted to get to Rome and visit with them and actually have them help him take the gospel to Spain. 
And he writes them and tells them about this request, his desire to visit them. And he asks for God's favor on a trip to Jerusalem, which he needed to take first. So before he would come to them in Rome, he needed to go to Jerusalem. And this map pictures what is happening. You can see there that Corinth is the place from which Paul wrote Romans. And you see Rome uh, over there a little bit to the northwest and down to the, to the southeast, you see Jerusalem. In this area of the world that's shaded now on the map, Paul, who was Jewish, but became the apostle to the Gentiles, he worked and lived and ministered in all of these regions, telling people about the gospel, and people were saved and churches were planted in and among the Gentiles. And Paul did something. While he was going to place to place, there was a terrible famine in Jerusalem. And so the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, out of which the church started, and they sent these missionaries out, they were suffering. So Paul took an offering. And he, many people in the Macedonian region and other places contributed to that offering. And so what Paul was going to do, as he writes in Romans, he's in Corinth. He's going to go first to Jerusalem. After he gets to Jerusalem, he then hopes to go back to Rome, which we know he did. He sailed, obviously, most of the way there. And then from Rome, he will go even westward. He hopes to go westward to Spain and share the gospel there. That is what this letter is, or this, this, this request that we've read, these verses, that's what it's all about. He's asking the Roman Christians, will you pray for me for the success of that trip? Here, let's look at it. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Now, urge is a strong word. It, it actually could be used for something as simple as asking or as strong as commanding. Now, here in this context, it doesn't necessarily um, uh, have the, 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 the notion of a supervisor who is telling employees what they must do. It's not quite like that, but it's more than a simple request it's a man of God. It's a missionary who's giving his life to the gospel. And he's trying to get other brothers and sisters in Christ to, to join him. So he's, he urges them. It's, a, it's an urgent plea for prayer. And as we study these verses today, we will learn a lot about how and why to pray for missionaries. In fact, that is what, that's the way we're organizing this passage, reasons to pray for missionaries. Let me give you today four reasons to pray for missionaries. The first reason, in some senses, has nothing to do with missionaries themselves or their work. The first reason is it honors Jesus and prays in his name. Notice what he says there. I urge you, brothers and sisters, and before he Ask them what exactly he wants them to do. He says, I urge you by our Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase is communicating 
the authority on which Paul is asking this. Now, of course, we just are reading this. We're opening this up and we're starting right here at Romans 15.30 as part of, of this message. But they would have read this letter. They would have read many things about Jesus in that letter and who he is and how powerful he is. And so for them to read, I urge you by our Lord Jesus Christ, they, Paul would be grounding this request in the person of Jesus. He would be basing it on the merit of Jesus. They had learned much about Jesus. Doug Moo notes that you could even paraphrase this phrase as not just by our Lord Jesus Christ, but in the name of Jesus. Does that ring a bell? Well, in these 40 days, we're trying to learn what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And, and we are learning that there are at least four elements that are intertwined with each other that com comprise praying in Jesus' name. It's praying in compliance with his character, based on his merit, with his power and authority, and in line with his priorities and purposes. When we pray for missionaries, we're praying in Jesus' name. And it's not just that we're saying the words in Jesus' name, but let's think about those four aspects right there. By, Paul says, I urge you by our Lord Jesus Christ, it's on, it's on his merit. It's on his merit alone. Paul's not saying pray because of me. Pray because you're a strong prayer. You know all the right words to say. You're intense. You're faithful. You didn't sin this week. Paul doesn't say anything like that. He says, I am urging you by our Lord Jesus Christ. We're grounding it all in Jesus. So we're praying in his name because we're praying based on his merit. Here's another passage. Back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Do you see Jesus' character right there? He is, he's compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. That is his character. And as he saw the crowds, as he ministered to people, he cared about them. He, he, he had compassion on them. And, and what did he do? The next verse says, so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus himself ties the needs, the compassion the, 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 the state of the world, of the lost world, the needy world, with his own character, he's compassionate about them, and he ties that with prayer. Ask God to send people to them. Those were the people that Jesus came to reach. And those were the people that Paul was trying to reach. And those are the people that our missionaries are trying to reach the fields are white to harvest. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying for missionaries 
because Jesus cares about people. And here's another passage that speaks into this. We know it as the Great Commission. It's, it's, it's the, kind of the last command that uh, Jesus left after he had died and been buried and rose again. He called his disciples together. He says he came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's Jesus' authority. Praying in his name is praying based on his authority. He's powerful. When we pray for missionaries, when we pray for their effectiveness in making disciples and reaching nations and planting churches, that's a big task. That's an impossible task for humans. But the one who gave them that task and gave us that task is the one who said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I would say that definitely represents Jesus' priorities. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. His priority is for his followers to go out, not just to the next door neighbor, that's part of it, but to do it of all nations. He said, go and make disciples there in verse 19 of all nations. This is his priority. So again, as missionaries are in other nations and among other people groups, some even in America among other people groups, as these missionaries are trying to make disciples of all nations, our praying for them is praying in Jesus' name because it's based on Jesus' priorities. I like the way one of our missionary partners, Tim Pruitt, puts it. Let's strive to make Jesus' last command our first concern. So here it is. It's Jesus' merit, Jesus' character, his authority, his priorities. That's praying in Jesus' name. And the first reason we pray in Jesus' name is that it honors Jesus and it prays in his name. Now on your screen is the second reason. The second reason to pray for missionaries that we pick up from this passage is that it expresses love and unity among brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, this is kind of an unusual uh, grounding of this prayer request in my mind. Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of that, to be honest with you. But a fresh study of this passage reveals it. He says, yes, I urge you by the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm also urging you by the love of the Spirit. By the love of the Spirit. That's how Paul is asking for prayer for his missionary work. It's by the love of the Spirit. Now, this section of Romans that it's in, this larger, like chapter 12 to 16 is a larger section. The first 11 chapters of Romans are very, now have a lot of theology. And then chapters 12 to 16 have a lot of practice and how we respond. And so there's a lot in there in these last four chapters about how Christians are to love each other, to relate to each other, to serve each other. 
And in the context of all of that, as Paul is talking about his plans, his travel plans, he says, I want to urge you to pray for me, but I want to urge you by the love of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we pray for salvation. Yes, we want our missionaries to be protected. We pray for good health for them. We pray for receptive hearts and many, many other things that we pray for. But one of the reasons we pray for them is just because we love them. And they love us. It's the love of the Spirit. It's love motivates our prayers. We, we pray for people that we love. I also think it works the other way. Sometimes we don't know the missionaries as well, but the more we pray for them, the more we do grow to love them. Paul is saying to these brothers and sisters who've never met him before, I'm urging you by the love of the Spirit. Well, there's a third reason as we continue there in verse 30. And the third reason is that it creates partnership in the spiritual battle of ministry. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, notice, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Literally, this reads, strive together with me in your prayers for me to God in the original language. That, that, that word, strive together, appears only here in the New Testament. And yet there's a related word that's just a simplified version of it that appears uh, eight times in the New Testament. And it means to fight or to contend along with someone. It means to assist someone. It's the, it's the kind of word that, that you would use uh, in battle if you were going to assist someone in battle, or also if you were in an athletic contest and you were just going to strive and agonize towards reaching the finish line. Let me show you some places it's used just to give you a flavor for it. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul, speaking of Jesus, says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend, there it is, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Or again, all of these are underlined, the uses of that word, 1 Timothy 4.10. That is why we labor, labor and strive, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people. And especially of all who believe. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. So that you may stand firm in all the will of God. Mature and fully assured. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? He's saying ministry is a struggle. Missionary work is a struggle. And I want you to join with me. I want you to partner with me in that struggle. You know, ministry in general is two-sided. And it's especially true on the mission field. But there's a joy. It's a great joy. It's amazing to be able to invest your life in the work of God. 
To be able to share the gospel with people. To see people turn from darkness into light. To see, see people be saved. To see their lives turn around. To see churches get planted and people to join together. To, to see all kind of things happen. It's, it's a joy. There's so many wonderful, awesome things for it, with it. But at the same time, it's a struggle. It's tough. Sometimes, sometimes the person working in vocational ministry works hard and long. And sometimes they're misunderstood. And sometimes they sow and sow and sow and it doesn't seem like they reap. Sometimes progress seems to start happening in their ministry and something happens to disrupt it. Sometimes missionaries have challenges, interpersonal challenges with other missionaries on the field. They're living in a foreign country. They're away from home. They miss their family and friends. They have, they have all the normal things and struggles and challenges in life that anybody has. And yet for them, they don't always have the support system that others have. So ministry can be a struggle. Ministry can be a challenge. And always, always, always these missionaries have an enemy. Satan does not want their work to thrive. So no matter what else is going on, they have a spiritual enemy trying to stop them. I think that helps us understand why Paul would say these words. Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. You know, Paul talked about his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times he was beaten, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, fellow Jews, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, and danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, not all of our missionaries have experienced all of that. But every one of them has experienced spiritual opposition and setback and challenge and difficulty. And Paul said, please join me. Please partner with me. Please help me. I love it when people partner together to do things. Don't you love it when a project happens and people join in together? This is what Paul is seeing. I, I've got to be honest with you today. I, I'm, I feel personal conviction that for much of my Christian life, I've viewed praying for missionaries as something extra rather than essential. And maybe some of you feel that too. Now, the desire today is not to make anybody feel bad, but to encourage us that we, by the grace of God and through the power of God, 
we can join in and partner in something that really, really matters. We may not be the one on the ground, but we can be praying for those on the ground, and it can be amazing. Prayer creates partnership. Well, prayer for missionaries does one more thing. And let me call attention to that as we look at verses 31 and 32, and that is it is used by God to favor the work of missionaries. Paul said, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Paul's praying for two different things or asking them to pray for two different things. The first one is protection. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Remember near the beginning, I put the map up and I showed all of the area Paul, areas Paul ministered in and he collected this offering. Now he's going back to Judea. He's not in Judea when he writes this. He's over in Corinth. But I'm going back to Judea. I'm going to take this offering and ultimately he wants to then go to Rome. And ultimately, beyond that, even go to Spain. But there are people that want to kill him. (laughs) There are people that are opposed to him. Paul was Jewish, but there were some Jewish unbelievers who thought he had betrayed his people, betrayed, betrayed them. And if you read Acts 21 and 22, we just recently worked through the book of Acts. If you read those chapters, you'll find out that Paul had... Anything but a warm reception when he arrived in Jerusalem. (laughs) Some of the Jews accused him of teaching things that were contrary to their laws. And they said, oh, he brought Greeks into the temple. They made up these charges and they were going to kill him. He didn't know all that was going to happen. But before he went there, he asked the Romans to pray that God would protect him. It's interesting, Paul isn't praying for protection so he can live a long life. (laughs) Yeah, I want to go spend some time on the, the beaches and relax. No, Paul is doing something very important. He's gathering this collection that's going to unify Jews and Gentiles. He's still evangelizing and planting churches. He still wants to reach new, unreached territories So pray that God will protect me in that, he says. As we look at the second part of verse 31, we see another thing that Paul asked them to pray for. He says, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. He asked them to pray for receptivity. That seems to be an unusual request. You might think, well, why would he he ask them to pray for that? I mean, after all, he's taking money to them, surely they will receive it. Well, you know, some people are hesitant to receive gifts from others. But in this case, I think it has to do with the Jew-Gentile issue. The Jewish believers were living in Jerusalem. They were the ones who experienced a famine. Those, they were the ones in need. And it was the brand new Gentile believers, these new Gentile churches that were collecting money for them and sending them the money. And there were Jewish opponents who were saying, no, they they can't really be part of the people of God or they need to do this and that and the other to become a part of the people of God. And so there was this Jewish Gentile tension and Paul was saying, look, 
I want to ask you to pray that God will soften their hearts so that they will receive it in the same spirit in which it was given. And that was very, very important. It was a way to unite these two groups of people. You know, Paul could do a lot of the work. He could visit. He could share the gospel. He could plant churches. He could tell the Gentiles about the plight of the Jewish people. But he couldn't prepare the hearts of the Jewish people. And that is very similar to our own missionaries. They can do a lot of things. They can preach the gospel. They can build relationships. They can evangelize. They can baptize. They can disciple. They can come to people with the message of the gospel, but they cannot make people's hearts receptive to the message. And that's why it's important to pray for receptivity on the part of those that are receiving the ministry. Here's an interesting note. These prayer requests were answered. We have the benefit now of looking back. We have the, the, the book of Acts to give us some of the history. And we, we can now, after the fact, say, Paul asked these things. He was in Corinth. He was going to go to Rome or go to Jerusalem first and then to Rome on his way to Spain. And he's asking the Roman Christians to pray about this other trip to Jerusalem. He's going to go to Judea. He, he wants to be protected. Was he protected? Well, if you read Acts 21 and 22, you find out that it was anything but smooth. There was all kind of opposition to him. People tried to kill him. They stirred the city up. They told false things against him, right? They said, he's bringing Greeks into the temple. And the city got so stirred up that Paul was in danger. And the Roman government said, let's arrest him for his own safety. So God answered his prayer for protection by being arrested and put in jail for two years. God also answered this prayer for receptivity. Um, in Acts 21, 17, it says, he said, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. So we do believe the offering was received. And of course, Paul did the other part of his request that he would be able to go to Rome and visit with them and be encouraged. He did get to Rome, right? But not on a bed of ease, not in a, in a Hilton. He came under arrest. He, all that, that ship, um, that trip on the ship, he was a prisoner and they took him to Rome under arrest. So you see, God did answer prayer and God does answer our prayers, but just like he didn't answer them in a way that Paul might've expected, he doesn't always answer our prayers in exactly the same way we expect. So what do we pray for, for our missionaries? We pray for protection. We pray for receptivity. Let me quickly mention two other things. We pray for boldness. Paul asked the Ephesians, he said, pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So he was asking for boldness and that's something we can pray for. And also open doors. Colossians 4, verse 3, he writes, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, 
These are different circumstances than Paul faced. But our missionaries today can definitely use prayer for protection, for receptivity on the part of those to whom they're ministering, on boldness as they present the message, and on open doors. Believer, is this, does this seem too challenging? To, to be a person who prays like this does, this, does this seem to be very hard? Let me remind us about the context here. Romans chapter 1 through 11, Paul talked about the gospel. He talked about the darkness of the human experience, the darkness of the world without Christ, how everybody was sinful, Jews and Gentiles alike. There was no way we were, it separated us from God. There was no way to reach heaven. And yet through faith, we could be saved. And as Paul shared that incredible news of the gospel, he talked about everything that happens and the Everything that God does, the forgiveness of sins, we're no longer under law, we're no longer under death, there's no more condemnation. In other words, all of Romans 1 and 11 get, paints this beautiful picture of the gospel. And then when he begins in Romans 12, it is a response to living out the gospel. The last four chapters of Romans Romans are living out the gospel. He starts out Romans 12, 1. I urge you in view of God's mercy. And these verses we're reading today are part of that section. So in other words, if it feels challenging, if it feels overwhelming, let's remember the gospel. Let's remember who Jesus is. Let's remember all that he's done for us. And let's remember that we're just responding and he's living in us, equipping us to do it. One of the verses I put up earlier was the great commission in Matthew 28. Now, did you see the underlying words there at the end? Jesus said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He is with us. So here's God's word for us this morning. Prayer for missionaries is essential, not extra. Prayer for missionaries is essential, not extra. This week, knowing that I was going to be speaking on this, I emailed our 16 missionary partners. And I said, hey, look, we often follow your, <clears throat> your emails, your prayer letters, and we see different answers to prayer and so forth. But can you just share a recent answer to prayer with me? I thought it might be encouraging since we're talking and encouraging everybody to pray for missionaries that we might hear some of them. And man, like, like popcorn, they started coming in. <laughs> I started hearing from different ones. I heard from Noel and Reina Gomez in Honduras about a couple they started discipling who are now discipling two others and they're going to another village with it. I heard from Andre Franca who talked about in December, they just recently were able to have their most recent module in their Bible school with 40 students. And they were really praying about that because of the spread of COVID there. I heard about Chris Johnson tells stories 
both some from long ago, but also recently, including Debbie's improved health from Micah Chen and John Nystrom and, and a bunch of them. And in fact, it's too many to share this morning, but I plan electronically to share it in the next few days with our body. But I do want to, I do want to just close by reading a portion of an email that I got from Don and Cy Hill. Don and Cy, praise God, were saved at harvest and discipled and went back to her native country, Thailand, to plant a church a few years ago. And, and here's what Don said. Thanks for praying for us. We've recently seen answers to prayers. Here are two specific ways. A young lady in our church named Sai, <laughs> uh, the daughter of Sutjai, who is a believer, married an unbelieving young man named Bright last year. We were a bit disheartened about the marriage, but have regularly prayed for Bright. Sai moved out of our village to live with her husband and to be close to her work. She and Bright worked for the same company. So we had only occasional contact with them the last eight months. About two weeks ago, they came to church because they had come home over the New Year holiday. Bright spoke with my wife, Sai, after church and told her that he wanted to receive Christ. They couldn't stay that day, but the following week, which was just a few days ago, they came to church again, and after the service, we talked and prayed with Bright, and he received Christ. Praise God, who is always working and answers prayer. Don goes on. The other clear answer to prayer we've seen quite recently We've long been wanting and praying for some kingdom-minded friends here, someone who shares our background and whose desire is to share the love of Jesus with people. A few weeks ago, I learned from a Canadian friend that the horse farm five minutes from us that belongs to a missionary family who had to return to the U.S. several years ago was being purchased by a missionary couple. I managed to make contact with the couple, Ben and Susie, in late November and found out they would be moving from Bangkok to our area in January. We have now spent two wonderful afternoons with them and their three adorable children, ages four, two, and one. We were just awestruck at how many things we have in common with them. And they told us they felt similarly amazed and thankful to God for bringing friends for them in a place where they literally knew no one. What an amazing answer to prayer. Thanks be to the Father for his lavish grace and blessing. And thanks to Harvest for your faithful prayers. Indeed, prayers, prayer for missionaries is essential, not extra. Thank you for praying for them. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let me pray briefly now. Lord, we are grateful that you care for the lost in every country of this world, in every people group of this world. And we are thankful that you are allowing us to send and partner with missionaries who are giving their lives to do that. And we do, Lord, want to lift them up before you and pray in Jesus' name. Pray only because of you. Pray because you're compassionate. Pray because it's your priority. And it fits all that you're doing in this world. 
Hear our prayers and be glorified. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.